was in the parking lot across the street there at Ralph's, and uh, this guy walks up to me, and, and he's like, Kevin, and I remembered him. We graduated high school together, and uh, I hadn't seen him for a long, long time, and, and so I saw him, and, and he said, you know, I, I, I know you pastor the church there, and I live just like a few hundred yards that way. He goes, I drive by sometimes, see you out there in the parking lot. Um, I said, you guys, you should come to church sometime, you know, it'd be great, you just come. And, and uh, it, it didn't seem like he was super anxious, and so I said, we, we, uh, we also do this harvest festival, it's awesome, like on Halloween, bring your kids, it's a blast, like all kinds of fun stuff at, at, uh, at Halloween, and, and uh, he's like, well, my, my oldest is like, almost 30, and my youngest is, like, 21. And I'm like, my youngest just turned one. My oldest is 11. I'm like, bring your grandkids. But uh, some of you are at different stages. And uh, grandparents, grandfathers have fun today. Dads have a great time. And we celebrate and uh, most importantly, just give thanks to our Heavenly Father who is as perfect as he could possibly be. So we are in Ephesians chapter 4, if you turn there with me. And there's a handout there in your bulletin. If you need one, raise your hand and someone will bring one to you. But let's, uh, let's come before our Lord in prayer. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. Lord, what a perfect example you are to us of fatherhood. You love us. You teach us. You care for us perfectly. And you always are the perfect example for how we ought to live. We're thankful for your word this morning that teaches us, inspired by the very breath of you, Lord, perfect in every jot and tittle, every word, Lord, is exactly as you determined for it to be, and we're thankful for that. Enable us to study your word this morning and and to grow in our love for you, our knowledge of you, and grow together as a, a church body. So we ask you just to meet us here in this sanctuary on this morning, Jesus in Jesus' name, amen. Last, year, last week, we looked at the first couple verses here in, in Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll read those, and then we'll focus on verses 4 through 6. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. 
It's an incredible passage before us this morning on the unity that is to be within the church. We see in Scripture over and over again God calling us to unity. In fact, that that others would look upon the church and see something radically different in the church in that there is a unity that is there that is stronger than any unity that can exist. A love for one another, caring for one another. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10 where Apostle Paul says, I, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And then we see that he heard of contentions and divisions in the house of someone by the name of Chloe. Some are saying, I'm of Paul, and some are saying, I'm of Apollos, and some are saying, I'm of Cephas, and some are saying, I'm of Christ. And Paul just asked them, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? There was divisions that were occurring, and any of us that have been in the church and for any length of time at all know that there's frequently great divisions that take place within the church. And it ought not to be that way. We see that, that churches split, denominations divide. Changes take place to where fellowship um, is separated between believers. There's a Scottish preacher and evangelist by the name of John McNeil. And he... He had pastored in the 1920s, and for a few years he pastored at, at the 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. And he talks about how there's two, two blind men that were healed by Jesus, one in John chapter 9 and one in Mark chapter 8. And it's funny because as he goes through, he says, I can just imagine these two guys getting together, two guys that were blind, now they're able to see. And they're there, and, and, and one of them saying, no, I, uh, the, the way that, that Jesus healed me was that he, he spit into the ground and he spit in that dust and made clay and placed that clay upon my eyes. And the other man says, I don't know anything about that. And the first guy would say, well, it has to be that way. That, that's the way that Jesus gives sight to people. You must have forgotten. He spits in the ground and he makes clay and he puts it in your eyes and then he tells you to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And, uh, and the other says, guy says, oh no, I, he didn't do that with me at all. He just spoke and I received my sight. And the first guy digs his heels and he says, that isn't right. Jesus heals with clay. If you haven't had that experience, I'm beginning to doubt whether you can really see. And, and that was the beginning of the Muddites and the anti-Muddites. Uh, divisions over almost anything, Right? As far as separation, it, it, it's not supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be this way. And yet God has called believers to have unity. To have unity. It doesn't mean that we take a position that truth doesn't matter. It does. Truth matters in an incredible way as far as the way that we view Scripture here at the church. To be the authoritative word of God without error. Perfect, fallible. 
the doctrines that are central to the church, that are central for proper theology and right teaching. But there's other things that people divide over that just ought not to be divided over. Separations that take place over personalities, separations that take place over all kinds of different things that are not reasons to divide at all. In our passage this morning, you hear seven different things that unify us. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all. And we'll look at those seven individual things this morning. There's unity that is there. We are one. The first statement that's made is this. There is one body. Now, in your, in your handouts there, what I've done is I clipped out in bold. So the sections that are in bold are coming directly from our church's statement of faith. And so you'll, you'll see, just as a church, this is our statement of faith. This is what we believe. This is what we say. And so the first is that there's one body, or there's the universal church. And this is what's in our statement of faith. It says this, We believe the true church is composed of all such persons who through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit are united together in the body of Christ, of which he is the head. All within the church are saved by faith in the atoning work of Jesus Christ as proclaimed by the gospel. There is one body, one church. Every believer is a part of one universal church. There's individual local churches, but there is one church in which everybody that is there has, have all been regenerated by the same Holy Spirit. Christ is the head of all of us. We've all been saved by faith through the work of Christ upon the cross. And we are one. A body that exists. And yet, many members. All different kinds of people, but one body. In eternity, we will enter into heaven and there will be myriads of people. And of those people, they will all be united. We will all be united in that we are the church. You think of the human body. Our bodies contain somewhere near 100 trillion cells. Think about that number, 100 trillion. We get used to numbers like that because of the current debt of our country. But they're, they're huge. They're huge numbers. 100 trillion. If you took... One dollar bills and laid them end to end. And you did a hundred trillion. It would go from Earth to Saturn and back six times. Massive when you think of how intricate the body is. If you stacked a hundred trillion dollar bills, you'd go back and forth to the moon 14 times. So many cells are in our bodies. There's many different members, but God has designed each one of us for a very specific purpose. 
We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where it says in verse 18, but now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. Isn't that awesome? When you think of there's one body, knowing that there's unity that is there, and God put each person within that church, within that body, exactly how he pleased. They're necessary. Each one of us is necessary. He says, and if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor can the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism, no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. What a precious, precious passage as we think of the unity that is here. God has gifted us. God has positioned us, each one, for a very specific purpose, just as he pleased. And every one of us is essential to the body of Christ. There's certain parts of our bodies that we think about more frequently, right? The mouth. You hear it. Um, But other parts we maybe don't think about as much. Do you know that the average person in this room will take 20,000 breaths today? Those lungs that are there are pretty important, aren't they? We don't think about them all that much, but 20,000 times you will breathe in and out today. Your kidneys, every single day, your kidneys, they will filter 50 gallons of blood. Just cranking. Think about 50 50 gallons go through those kidneys today. Yet nobody woke up this morning super thankful for their kidneys. I read that the average body has about six quarts of blood. So you can imagine that blood going through. 50 gallons filtered through. It circulates through your body Every minute. In one day, your blood travels through your veins 12,000 miles. That's four times the distance from the United States, across the United States from coast to coast. Every day. Cranking. But no one's there thinking like, thank you for these capillaries. Thank you for these arteries. Thank you for these veins. Thank you that we have all these things. Human brain contains 100 billion nerve cells. 100 billion And the fastest of your nerve cells are carrying messages at 268 miles per hour. It's fast. Some of you aren't quite so fast. I'm just kidding. But like, only kidding, only kidding. 268. Kelly sits up front. He just, he, he makes faces at me. He does stuff like that. Um, 
picture your nerve cells. You know. That's good. Uh, oh, kidding. There's times like once I got a yellow card in a game. It's questionable whether I did or not. It's questionable because he kind of put it in the direction of several coaches. And uh, the next Sunday, Kelly's in the front row with like yellow cards, putting them up throughout the service. And I had to keep preaching. I had to keep going and pretend like that didn't happen. But the body, our bodies are incredible as far as how they are made. And we aren't always thankful for all the different parts of our body. And yet, God has positioned you in the church for a reason, for a purpose, for his glory, and for the building up of the rest of the saints. That's why he's done that. There's unity that ought to be within our church because we know that we are one body in Christ. There's unity that ought to be there with other countries as well, Christians, where they're in other countries, and when they suffer, we suffer with them. When they rejoice, we rejoice with them. We're thankful for them. We pray for them. We care for them. It's amazing when you go to different places and you meet Christians. Immediately, there is a unity that is there that is precious. It doesn't matter whether you can speak their language or not. Before you've even communicated, you're able to be there. Watch them worship. See their faces as the teaching takes place and the translation is occurring. Watch how they are with one another. And there is just the most precious unity that is there. Because we're all sinners that have been saved by grace and we are one body. And so God tells us there is one body. There is also one spirit. God, the Holy Spirit. There in our statement of faith it says this. We believe that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is divine, eternal, underived, possessing all the attributes of personality and deity. His ministry is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and exalt God the Father. And during this age, to convict men, regenerate men, indwell, guide, instruct, empower the believer for godly living and service. There is only one Holy Spirit who indwells every believer, and he joins us together with every other believer. There is a unity that is there because the same Holy Spirit who indwells me is the same Holy Spirit who has indwelled you. We see in Scripture where we read passages where God says things like Romans 8, 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. If you are a believer, the Holy Spirit resides in you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Possesses you. In you. Working in you. And so, there ought to be unity amongst us here at our church, as well as believers around the world. Because we recognize that the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit, has ministered to us and dwells us, has sealed us until the day of redemption. The same Holy Spirit has convicted us or regenerated us, guides us. We could go through this room and say, how did God save you? And person after person after person will have a different story as far as how it is that God has saved you. 
But every one of you will say something along the lines of, God showed me that I was a sinner and that I was in desperate need of grace. I was in desperate need of forgiveness. I was in desperate need of a savior. God did that. He worked in my heart. I was running away from him. And he used this person or that person or that sermon or reading that passage or these circumstances in my life. And he brought me to faith in him. God did it. It was an awesome work that God did in my life. And he indwells us. He instructs us. Every one of us could go around and say, yeah, he he spoke to me so clearly through his word in this passage. It just changed me. Every one of us could probably say, there's things that I used to struggle with. And I'm not struggling with those things anymore. He's been working in me. He's been changing me. Now I'm struggling with these things. And I look forward to him getting rid of these things in my life as well. There is a unity that is there because we're not our own. We've been purchased by him. The Holy Spirit indwells us, has changed us, and continues to change us. And he will complete what he started in us. We see the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22 where it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. There is a difference in believers. The Holy Spirit resides in us, and as a result, these are the things that come out of our lives. It's what happens when God changes you. I've been places where there's hardly any Christians. Different countries where there's virtually no Christians that are in this area. Very few. And I can tell you beyond any shadow of a doubt that in those places, I don't, I don't see the kind of love at all that you find within a church amongst believers. I don't see joy. In fact, I've been in some places where I'm like, it looks that they almost look robotic in how they conduct themselves. The looks on their faces are different. It's just different. Andre, Andre Ashley is married to Kelly. Andre Ashley used to be Kelly Gammy. He grew up in an orphanage in, in Romania. And we would go visit him and all the other orphans every year from the time that he was just a little guy. Every summer we'd go there and we'd go to those orphanages and we'd spend some days just playing with the kids and ministering to the kids and being an orphan in Romania during that time, it was, was a very, very difficult life. And in talking with him, who is a pastor now in Romania, and one that we prayerfully support and love and care for, um, he said that you guys came. And every year we look forward to you guys coming more than anybody else. And he said, and all I thought is, they have more joy than anybody I've ever seen. And whatever they have, I want that. And God used that to save him, to bring him to salvation. 
It wasn't that we try to work up joy before going into these places. It's that the Holy Spirit resides in us. He gives us peace that makes it so that we can react differently in different circumstances than other people because we serve a sovereign God. He makes it so we're more patient or kind, full of goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It is God that does that in our lives. And we have one spirit who resides in all of us. And there is unity that comes in it because he is the one who is working in us. There ought to be unity in the body. Paul goes on. He says, and there's one hope. There's one hope. There's a unity that we have and that there is one hope for us. And I believe that hope is the return of Christ. We believe in the personal and imminent coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The coming of Christ at a time known only to God is our blessed hope and has a vital bearing on the personal life and service of the believer. We are united in that we have one hope together, and that is Christ will return. It's perfect unity for all believers, and that is the one hope. One joyous expectation, one future assurance, and that is the return of Christ for his church. It's not a hope as far as like, oh, I hope he comes back. It is a hope in scripture, which means a joyous expectation or a future assurance. We have unity in that and that he is returning. Now, there's those within the church. Some think that he's going to come before the tribulation. Some people believe he's going to come in the middle of the tribulation. Some people believe he's going to come at the end of the tribulation. Some people believe he's going to come before the millennium. Some people that believe that, that in, in a post-millennial view. Some people believe in an all-millennial view. But we all are united in this. We have hope that he's coming back. We trust that he's coming back. There's unity for all believers in that we look forward to his return. Look at Titus 2.13. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We look forward to that, don't we? Most every believer here, I think, could testify that there are times where you just think, Lord... Come soon. Come soon. I look forward to your return. Come soon. I used to pray that like before I'd face finals in college. <laughs> like almost on a regular basis, I'd say, Lord, if you're going to come back, I would be so blessed if you came now instead of at the end of the week because this is going to be a brutal week. And it's going to be so hard. Now would be so much better. Come soon. But we look forward to his return, don't we? We look forward to being with him. We look forward to seeing him face to face. We look forward to no longer having pain or temptation or any such things. But to be united with our Savior, to see him face to face, we look forward to his return. And there is one hope that unites us together in that. John chapter 14, verse 1 says this, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. 
And we look forward to that hope, don't we? Christ, don't let your heart be troubled. You have one hope, and that is, in my Father's house are many dwelling places or mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you, I've gone to prepare a place for you, and I'll come again. I'll receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And there is unity for all of us in that, isn't there? We just look forward to it. I, I want to be with him. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16, it says this, For the Lord God himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And how many believers over these thousands of years have looked forward to, there is going to come a point where there will be the Lord descending, a shout, the voice of an archangel, a trumpet of God, and we will be caught up and we will be with him for all eternity. We look forward to that day. There is unity for us as believers and that all of us look forward to that. In 1 John 3, verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. We look forward to seeing him, to being with him. And that hope changes us. A unity that is there for all of us, and that we look forward to his return. Arthur Pink says this, What is your hope? What is it that is occupying your heart and filling your vision? Is it the prospect of a speedily returning redeemer? If you are truly the Lord's, then you do not yearn if you are truly the Lord's, then you do not yearn to see him face to face. Don't you? Do you not long to fall at his feet and say, "My Lord and my God?" Surely you do. For you cannot be fully satisfied in this world. How could you be? If you're a believer, you look forward to it. You look forward to his return. The next thing that unifies us. There's one body, one spirit. Now we see there's one hope in your calling. One Lord. All of us serve the same one Lord. We're not ruled in the kingdom of God by angels or apostles or any other thing. We all have one Lord whom we serve, and he is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one that we serve. All of us desire to serve and to please the same one. William Hendrickson says this, This Lord is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our Lord in the sense that since he bought us, we are his. He owns us, loves us, cares for us, protects us. We recognize his sovereignty. Own him as our deliverer and ruler. We trust him, obey him, love him, and worship him. We have one Lord. A unity is there. You can believe a certain way about end times. You can believe a certain way as far as how your thoughts are on baptism, when that should take place. You could have different thoughts as far as whether the gifts are for today. You could have different thoughts on all kinds of different things as believers, but we have one Lord. All of us serve one Lord. There's a great conference that takes place in 
Louisville, Kentucky every two years called Together for the Gospel. And you have great guys that are involved with that, that conference. Um, Archie Sproul was involved with it when he was alive, Presbyterian. You had John Piper involved with it, who's Baptist. You had John MacArthur involved with it. You had guys like C.J. Mahaney, who is more of a charismatic. You have guys like, like Legan Duncan, who is Presbyterian. You have guys like Mark Dever, who's Baptist. You have E.V. Free guys there. You have Calvary Chapel guys. You have non-denominational guys. You have all kinds of different people that go to these conferences. And they said, like, we almost didn't have any worship at all because none of us could agree on how the music should go. None of us could. We are not together at all on end times. We're not together at all on former church government. We're not together on a lot of different things. But we are together for the gospel. We are united in that we have the same Lord. We believe the same gospel. And it's critical for us as believers to have unity and that we serve the same Lord. The next position that unifies us is this. We have one faith. There is only one faith, one gospel message that was proclaimed clearly for all to hear and come to faith in Christ. There is one faith. There within our statement of faith, there's a number of different statements under this section, but let's, let's look at them. This is what we all believe, right? The Holy Trinity. We believe that there is but one living and true God, creator of all things, an infinite, all-knowing spirit, perfect in all his attributes, one in essence, externally existing in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each equally deserving adoration and worship and obedience. Every one of us believes in the Trinity if we're believers. Every one of us. If we're Christians, all of us believe in a triune God. If we're believers, all of us believe God the Son and God the Son, Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, is fully God and fully man in indivisible oneness. All things were created through him and for him. The incarnate Christ, the promised Messiah, according to Scripture, was conceived through the miraculous agency of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. The sinless Christ fulfilled all righteousness, was crucified under Pontius Pilate, arose bodily from the dead on the third day, and ascended into heaven, where he reigns as our mediatorial king and high priest and righteous advocate. He alone is the only means of salvation through the shedding of his blood and the sacrificial death on the cross. He is the head of the body, the church, and reigns as Lord within the church. If you do not believe that, you are not a believer. You are not a Christian. It is absolutely essential that we believe in the Holy Trinity and that we believe in God the Son, Jesus Christ. As far as man is concerned, we believe that man was created in the image of God, but in union with Adam, human beings are sinners by nature and by choice, alienated from God and under his wrath. Man is spiritually dead in sin and is unable to recover himself by his own merit or abilities. Man's salvation is thereby wholly of God's grace through the redemptive work of our Lord Jesus Christ. We all recognize that we are sinners, born sinners, in need of salvation, in need of a Savior. And all of us, as far as our salvation is concerned, says this, we believe that the shed blood of Jesus Christ and His resurrection provide the only ground for justification and salvation. We believe that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. 
We believe that we were, we who were <coughs> dead in our trespasses and sins were made alive through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. As a result of God's grace, we profess and follow Christ as our Lord and Savior. Brothers and sisters, they are believers all over the world that believe the exact same thing as us. And we're unified in that. It's absolutely essential for salvation that we understand who God is, who our Savior is, who we were as far as sinners, and how it is that we are saved through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. There's one faith. There's one faith, and it unifies us all. All of us. There's one baptism. Every true believer has baptism in Jesus Christ as an initial sign of faith in Christ. In our statement, it says, we believe that water baptism and the Lord's Supper are ordinances to be served by the church in the present age. They are, however, not to be regarded as a means of salvation. But every believer is baptized with the same one baptism. You're baptized into Christ. We get saved. And then we go and we're baptized. I've watched believers be baptized in bathtubs in Romania. People being baptized in a bathtub in China. Was there in Sudan, South Sudan. A number of people came to know Christ. We went there to the Tones River and baptized in that river. I was just telling Andrew about that yesterday. Because he has this book of deadly animals. <laughs> and one of them was this piranha. And I said, I was watching these kids fish in Tones. And they pulled out this fish that had the biggest, sharpest teeth I ever did see, Ever. So needless to say, when they said, hey, do you want to baptize? I'm like, no, I'm good. You guys are good. Go ahead. Stay right here and take pictures. I'll watch. Literally, like, I just thought, like, there are crocodiles and there are piranhas in this water. But God miraculously saved all that were baptized and those that did the baptism. But there were plenty of pastors that were eager to get in that water, and I was not one of them. But baptisms that have taken place where there is a unity that is there, right? We've all been baptized with the same baptism. Whether you're a Baptist, Presbyterian, a Lutheran. What baptism means to us is that when Christ died, we died with him. When he rose again, we rose up with him. We are found in him. We belong to him We identify ourselves with him. And there is one baptism for all believers. And there's one God and Father of all. There in our statement of faith, under God the Father, it says this, we believe in God the Father, the first person of the Trinity. He is the eternal Father of of the Lord Jesus Christ, giver of the eternal Holy Spirit, who from nothing made heaven and earth and all that is in them. He upholds and governs the same by his eternal counsel and providence for the praise of his glory and grace. By his grace, he gave us his only son, Jesus Christ, to redeem for himself his own special people 
whom he called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We, as believers, believe in that one God and Father of all. There, within our passage, it says that we believe in one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. There's unity that is there for us. Because brothers and sisters, we all have the same Heavenly Father. Every one of us. Most everybody here has a different dad. Except for like fourth row. You guys all have the same dad. Big Barnes family. And others where you have the same dad. But most of us have different dads. However, there is a unity that is there and that we are a part of the same family and that we have the same Heavenly Father. He's one who speaks things into existence. He's one who so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten Son. He's one who governs, upholds all things. Sovereign. Grace pours forth from him. He purchased us for himself as his own special people. He called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is our Heavenly Father. We are united in him. Ephesians 3.14 says this, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. We bow our knees together to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The whole family, those who are already in heaven and those who are in earth, on earth are named by him. There's unity that is there. It is very possible for us to divide. We see it, don't we, all the time. But when we come to our passage here in Ephesians chapter 4, he is calling us towards unity. Let's read this section in its entirety again, from starting in verse 1. Paul saying, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you, I plead with you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. With all lowliness and gentleness. With long-suffering and bearing with one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Is that you? Do you look at other believers and say, Lord, I just want lowliness. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to be one who shows no grace at all. But one who sees himself or herself as a wretched sinner who is also in desperate need of the grace of God. And so there's not a haughtiness, there's not pride, but there's lowliness. Are we gentle towards one another? 
Is there a gentleness that is there? Are we long-suffering? Are we patient with one another? He's pleading with us. I beseech you. I plead with you. Be patient with one another. Bearing with one another in love. Do it bearing with one another in love. Endeavoring, do all that you can to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's pour ourselves into being one. Let's pour ourselves into not being divided. Let's pour ourselves into seeing believers and loving them, regardless of whether they are different from us, regardless of how they treat us sometimes, regardless if they're at this church or another church, or in this country or another country, regardless if they're male or female or wealthy or not, or slave or free, regardless of age, may there be such a unity amongst believers where we're weeping with those who weep and we are rejoicing with those who are rejoicing and we are bearing with one another in love. That's what God's called us to. He's pleading with us through the Apostle Paul towards this. And the reason why is because there ought not to be divisions among us. What unifies us? Why should there be no divisions? And God just inspires Paul to write, because there's one body. There's one Holy Spirit. However you look at it, there is only one body, and it is those who will spend eternity with Christ. There's only one Holy Spirit, and He is the same one who regenerates all of us. There's one hope, and that is that Christ will return. We all look forward to His return. We all serve the same one Lord. We all have the same one faith. We all have the same one baptism into Christ. And we all have the same one God and Father of all. Brothers and sisters, it just makes sense that there would be unity with us. We are united. All of us are united together in Christ. Let's endeavor towards that. To recognize that to be humble, to be gentle, to be patient, to bear with one another. God, help us to do that. It is so important for our church here as well as for the way in which we shine in this county, in this state, in this country, in this world. There ought to be unity that is there for us as believers. Let's pray for that now as we close. Lord God, we're thankful for your word this morning. I recognize, Lord, that the church has such a propensity towards division, pride, being anything but gentle with one another, being anything but patient with one another. So slow to show grace. So slow to forgive. So slow to 
reconcile. I pray that your Holy Spirit would use the words that are in the beginning here of Ephesians chapter 4 to change us in those areas. Help us to see what unites us. Help us, Lord, to be lowly, gentle, patient. Help us to be kind to one another. Bear with one another. Help us to do everything that we can to keep unity here within our church and amongst the saints abroad. Apart from you, Lord, every one of us would just have run into a direction of eternity apart from you. And yet you saved us. You did it all. May we find such sweet unity and that you are our head and we are the body and you positioned us exactly as it pleased you by your sovereign hand and by your kindness towards the church so that we could build each other up, love each other, care for each other, rejoice with one another, weep with one another, sharpen one another, Use our gifts that you've given us to be a blessing to one another. Help us not to be like a church who is filled with a bunch of individuals who truly don't care for each other the way that you've called us to. Break down barriers, break down pride, enable us to do that, Lord, so that we as a church would be healthy, so that you would be glorified. And so unbelievers, onlookers would look in and say, there is something radically different about those people and I want that. May your Holy Spirit use the unity here at Reverence Bible Church even to bring people to Christ. We pray that you would do that, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that as we close and worship With one voice, we would praise our one Savior, our one God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.